Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Today's episode is called The Hospitality Challenge. What do you believe about hospitality? The scriptures lay out three major kinds. One, hospitality shown to the saints. Two, hospitality to the needy. And three, hospitality to the unbeliever. As it turns out, showing hospitality is an important Christian practice, even if it takes courage to invite others into our houses. In our present age, hospitality just might be the secret the church has been looking for to reach out to others with God's grace and love. For example, when a pastor invited over Rosaria Butterfield, a lesbian, feminist, vegetarian, English professor, she was able to begin seeing through the negative hype about Bible-believing Christians and even began a journey that ultimately led to her own conversion. Hospitality is indeed a powerful way to show God's love to people of all kinds. Are you ready for the hospitality challenge? Shortly after I married Ruth, we went to stay with some strangers, some people that we had never met before. And we were off to Georgia, the Peach State, and my parents knew a a couple over there, and we were off to Bible college, and they offered, since they knew my parents, they offered to let Ruth and me stay at their house for free. And it was a time when I received hospitality. And I, I always, when it happened, it was strange, and when I look back on it, I'm like, man, that is just so weird. They had never met me before. They didn't know Ruth at all, and uh, this is Tom and Karen, and they welcomed us into their home in Georgia, and we lived with them. In fact, it's even stranger because when we first got there, we drove there. It took uh, forever. What was it, like 15, 17 hours? And we finally got there in our little Honda Civic with all of our belongings in it, right? Maybe we had a storage unit for some stuff, but everything that we had with us was in the little Honda Civic, and they weren't even there. When we remember that they weren't even there, they had somebody else come over, and oh, and we didn't even know which house it was, and it was really late, and they they took us in and they showed us hospitality, and we lived with them for a semester, and you know what? You just you just don't find that sort of thing much in the world, do you? And these were people that were part of the uh, family of God, and. They knew that we were part of the family of God, and they said, well, yeah, they could stay with us. We'd love to show them hospitality. And so that was a time when I experienced hospitality personally. It it reminds me of this verse in Romans 12, 13 that says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. It's a simple little verse, isn't it? Contribute to the needs of the saints. That's the idea that if someone... Uh, and saints are not just superstar Christians, but Christians in general. Uh, if somebody is in need, that we are told here to contribute to that need and seek to show hospitality. This word hospitality is 
philoxenia, which is the word for, philo is uh, like Philadelphia, is the word love. Um, and xenia is like the word xeno, uh, it means a stranger. Like xenophobia is being afraid of strangers. So this word hospitality literally means stranger love. Uh, showing somebody kindness that's a stranger. And this other word here for seek to show, dioko, is the word that's translated persecute like Paul persecuted the church uh, or chasing after someone. It's a strong word. And so it's it, literally, it's chase after stranger love. <laughs> I, I understand why they said seek to show hospitality because, <laughs> but that's really what it says. I mean, it's a very strong statement that hospitality for Christ followers is really part of who we are, and it's really an important part of living out our faith authentically in especially our age today. And honestly, in my experience, personal experience, we excel at this. We do well at hospitality. I think it's something to be proud of, you know, not in an arrogant or haughty way, like we're better than somebody else, but to, to sort of recognize that this is a, a strong suit for many of us and uh, to... to uh, I don't know. Be proud of that. Now, I want to look at really three aspects of hospitality with you this morning. I want to look at hospitality to the saints, hospitality to strangers, and hospitality to unbelievers. Okay, and that's going to get us into the challenge at the end here. Uh, so, hospitality to saints, I feel like we understand that. It says it right there, Romans 12, 13. Show seek to show hospitality. Uh, and now let's move on to number two, which is to the stranger. And before we get to Genesis 18, I just want to read this verse from Leviticus, which says, Leviticus 19.33, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. That's a big statement. He's talking about strangers here. Love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, or I am the Lord, your God. Right? And so right from the law of Moses, thousands of years ago, God says, I want you to be good at showing hospitality, not just to other people who are part of Israel. This is also to the stranger, the traveler, the person who's passing through. And there's such a great example of this in Genesis 18 that I wanted to look at that with you regarding Abraham and Sarah. It says in Genesis 18, verse 1, Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. Anybody sit at the heat of the day yesterday? I sat in the heat of the day <laughs> yesterday. And then I stood and I started sweating. That's all it took. Just boom, beads of sweat on my forehead. It was so hot yesterday, wasn't it? It's probably going to be so hot again today. So, you know, desert people like Abraham... What's he doing in the middle of the day? He's sitting in the shade of the tent. There you go. And he looked up, verse 2, when he lifted his eyes, he looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if I now have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree and I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on, since you have visited your servant. And so this is somebody, this is a good example of somebody running to show 
love to the stranger, to the traveler, to the person in need. And he says, look, we, we, I, I want to do everything I can for you. I want to provide you a way to, to freshen up, in their case, wash your feet, right? And to give you some bread and just, just come visit and, and let, me, let me provide for you. Verse, what verse was that? Verse 5? So verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent. And you just imagine this. You know, he goes to his wife and he says, Honey, you know, we got to cook. we got to cook for these people. We need bread. Verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour. Knead it and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the... Look at all this running in the heat of the day, too. He ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant, and he hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them, and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. This is hospitality, right? I mean, this goes back, I mean, this is before the time of Jesus. This is before there was even a nation of Israel. This is the founder, Abraham. This is the starting point. And he's already got this straight. He's a positive example of hospitality. And he's, he's ready to inconvenience himself, to sacrifice of his own time, of his own convenience, of his own um, wealth to provide for these people that are coming through. And of, course, one of, and, and, of course, they're angels as well. That's part of the story. And you see that later in Hebrews. Uh, it says, show hospitality because some people have entertained angels unaware. Right? So this is, this is one of those times. And... Uh, so we read on, verse 9, Then they said to him, Where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, There in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the door, which was behind him. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this little incident from Genesis 18 out of the context of Abraham's whole life here. But I, I do that just because I want to illustrate for you that this is something that is part of the people of God, not necessarily only to the, the rest of the family of God, but to the stranger as well, to the traveler, to the person that is in need. And whatever Abraham did, Jesus amplified it. As we're, we're going to see here in Luke 14, verse 12, Jesus brought it to the next level. Jesus says it as strongly as you can possibly say it. He says in Luke 14, verse 12, and he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, so Jesus is at dinner, someone's invited Jesus, and now Jesus is going to t tell him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors Otherwise, they may also invite you in return that you may, that will be your repayment. Verse 13, but when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It's such a strong statement, right? And I think he sharpened it up so, so strongly there, and they, that was a typical Hebrew way of speaking, you know, hate somebody else in comparison to how much you love God, right? You have these very strong comparisons or contrasts. And what Jesus is saying here is, I don't think he's saying, I don't think we should take it as don't show hospitality to believers. We just read in Romans 12, we are supposed to do that. But what he's saying is, you know what? That's, that's I scratch your back, you scratch my back. You know, I invite 
Reverend Courtright over for dinner, he invites me back, right? And I know he's a good cook, so I might even invite him thinking, I'm, that's the only way I'm going to get him to cook for me, <laughs> right? And uh, that, can be, that can be a way of thinking. Jesus says, look, that's amateur hour. Everybody does. You should invite the people that cannot pay you back. Those people, they can't pay you back, so God will pay you back in the resurrection. That's what he says. Uh, you will be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. Uh, flip over to Matthew 25. I want to look at one more saying of Jesus uh, before we look at our next category, which is um, hospitality to the unbeliever. And so what Jesus said there, just, just to clarify once again, he says, really go out of your way to show hospitality to those in need. Okay, not just a stranger or a traveler, but somebody who's, he, he specifically mentions people in physical need. He says the blind. He says the lame. Now, in our society, a lot of times because of the way things are, um, people with all different kinds of handicaps are able to, to work and to, to earn an income and to, to be provided for other ways. In their society, that was less the case. Okay? Frequently, somebody with a handicap in a farming society, how, how are you going to plant the crops or how are you going to uh, sew the clothes or whatever? Trade was available. So uh, this, this is Jesus putting on the church the responsibility to care for those in need. And it's, it's a pretty cool thing here, but it's even bigger than that. Are you ready? Matthew 25, verse 31. This is talking, Jesus talking about Judgment Day. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed of My Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So you see the scene? This is Jesus talking about Judgment Day. He's saying, look, on the day of judgment, I'm going to separate people from each other. And the... The, the criteria I'm going to use for which people go on which side, inherit the kingdom or the fiery judgment, those are two very different <laughs> situations, right, is I was hungry and you fed me. That's what Jesus says he's going to do. Now, obviously, you don't want to take this one text and say, well, it doesn't matter if you believe that he died for your sins or anything. You don't want to take this against the rest of Scripture, but you do need to take it seriously. Right? We, you, we cannot ignore what Jesus says here. Or else we're going to be in there with the goats. And you don't want to be a goat. I don't want to be a goat. Verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Ladies and gentlemen, these things that Jesus says, feeding, giving to, to drink, and, and all this, this is hospitality. I mean, it's, it's more than hospitality, but it's not less, okay? 
Because that's what you do when you show hospitality. You take in the stranger. That's specifically one of the things he said here, right? I was a stranger and you took me in, right? And so we want to be hospitable people, but not just in a I scratch your back, you scratch my back reciprocal way. We want to be hospitable above and beyond to those who are actually in need in our, in our world. I'm not saying that you need to start some organization, but if it's on your heart, go ahead and do that. What I'm saying is in your life, when you run into people, right, that you would seek to show, find ways to show hospitality, to, to help people in need. And this is an important part about being a Christian, is to show hospitality to those in need. Uh, flip over, please, to 2 Kings chapter 6. This aspect of uh, hospitality is part of the legacy of Christianity, not just in the first century, but throughout Christian history. And I found this, this is a historical Christian writing by a man named Aristides, not too many Aristides around these days, I guess, but uh, in his apology or his defense of the faith, he writes around the year 125, he says, this is about 100 years after Christ, and when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. He's like, this is what Christians do. This is, this is what standard operating procedure is in my day, 100 years after Christ. When they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. And if there is any among them, and if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. Can you imagine that? All right, everybody, we, we, you know, this is a very different economy than ours, right? It's a very different society. Most Christians, especially in the second century, are either living at subsistence, barely above it, or just barely below it. I mean, just able to get enough calories to power their bodies for another day. That's the kind of poverty we're talking about in much of the Roman Empire in the second century when, the, when this was written, okay? And so how do the Christians deal with giving to the needy when they're needy themselves? They stop eating. We're just going to not eat for two days. And then we'll have all of this extra food and we can help the needy. This is, you know, this is like one of the, uh, that's why I love history. It doesn't matter if you agree with it. This is just what they did. And it just happens to be our people, our tribe that did this. So, I mean, it's pretty exciting to, to, to find little jewels like this. And he's not, he's not saying, hey, we should do this. He says, this is, our nor this is what we do. And this is, this is a letter he wrote to the emperor saying, so stop persecuting us. Right? Uh, so anyhow, look at uh, 2 Kings 6. Now it's, now it's going to, we're going to take it to the next level. 2 Kings chapter 6 is this uh, really interesting, although fairly obscure, incident where Elisha is dealing with an enemy. In fact, the enemy is the king of Syria, or Aram, and he's surrounded the city of Elisha because he's heard that in the land of Israel, there's this prophet that keeps telling the king of Israel what the king of Syria is doing militarily. So he's like, all right, we'll deal with this problem. We'll just go kill Elisha. And then once Elisha's dead, then the king, 
you know, won't know what, I'm, what, what moves I'm going to make ahead of time, and I'll be able to take him out. Not so easy. So anyhow, he goes to visit Elisha, and Elisha uh, is early in the morning, and his servant goes out of the house, probably to relieve himself, and he sees there's an army around the whole city. And he runs back in the house, and he says, Elisha, the whole city of Dothan is surrounded by the army of the Syrians, of the Arameans. And Elisha says, it's okay. It's okay. There's more with us than there are with him. And he prays and God opens his eyes to see the spiritual forces that God has stationed around. Right? And then um, he prays. They come to Elisha say, where's Elijah? He said, I'm, I'm Elijah. And uh, he, he prays and God strikes this entire army with blindness. That's a reverse healing prayer right there. They, they were able to see, and now they're blind, right? So that's, that's going the other direction. But uh, there we are. 2 Kings 6, verse 19. Then Elisha said to them, This is not the way. You guys are lost. This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. So the, and just imagine, they're blind. They're on these horses, but they're blind. They, you know, and they probably don't know that everyone else is blind. Everyone who's blind is probably thinking, I can't see, but I don't really want to tell anybody. I, I don't know how this worked. But they're all blind, and they're all going to follow Elisha blindly to where he brings them, right? Verse 20, when they had come to Samaria, which is the capital of Israel, the most fortified city, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened the eyes, and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Then the king of Israel, when he saw them, said to Elisha, my father, Shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? He answered, You shall not kill them. <laughs> he says, Instead, show hospitality. Look what, he's, look what he says here. Would you kill those who you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? No. Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master, and the marauding bands of Arameans did not come again into the land of Israel. You can understand why, right? We, you just imagine the report back to the king, right? They, they get back home to uh, Aram, and the king says, well, how did it go? Did you kill Elisha? That was your job. He said, well, no, he didn't do it. We said, well, how many forces did Elisha have with him? Did he, did, he have, did he have chariots? Was it chariots? I didn't give you any chariots. I should have given you chariots. No, it wasn't chariots, king. No. Um, we got lost. We got lost. Yeah, it was this really weird thing. I, I couldn't see where I was going, and this guy... Told, showed us where to go, and then suddenly we were surrounded by Israelite soldiers in a totally different town. The king's like, what's wrong with you? Right? I mean, you just imagine the report back, and the king said, well, how did you get away? How did you escape? Surely you took out your weapons and you fought your way out of there. They said, no. No, they fed us. And they released us. They let us go. 
I don't think we should go back there. <laughs> so this is, this is the most radical example of hospitality I know of in the whole Bible, where you show that hospitable kindness to, in this case, military enemies in the act of them attacking you. And it turns them around. And, and it says they did not come again into the land of Israel. They just didn't, you know, figure, like, whatever the Israelites are doing here, like, we don't have a weapon to counter that blindness feeding thing, you know. And uh, they probably didn't want to. I mean, once, is there something about eating with people, isn't, isn't there? Like, even if somebody that you, you, you feel like is different than you or you don't know if you would really get along, then you eat together, and it does, it does kind of bond you together, doesn't it? It's a cool thing. All right, so now I want to share with you the story of Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, who has obviously the best name ever, <laughs> Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. Um, anyhow, she was a tenured English professor at Syracuse University, and she was a professor of English literature, I think 19th century English literature. Very smart woman, a career woman. She was a feminist and a lesbian. And not just any kind of lesbian, but one that's academically involved. She's working on queer theory, as it's called in the, uh, the academic world. Uh, in her own words, she said, the name of Jesus stuck in my throat like a hairball. I couldn't cough up. Jesus. <laughs> just couldn't, just didn't like the word Jesus, didn't like Christians. And uh, here, here's, well, this is her view of religion at that time. She said, I believed at this time that God was dead and that if he ever was alive, the fact of poverty, violence, racism, sexism, homophobia, and war was proof he didn't care about his creation. I believe that religion was, as Marx wrote, the opiate of the masses, an imperialist social construction made to soothe the existential angst of the intellectually impaired. Told you she was smart, right? <laughs> so she's there working on uh, you know, her feminist agenda and promoting um, LGBT rights at Syracuse University. And she said in her own words that she was on a campaign against stupid. Which is why when the Promise Keepers came to town, uh, this, is, this is some time ago, but the Promise Keepers came to town, she wrote a piece criticizing them for the Syracuse Post. And uh, she's, she's on a rampage against Christianity. She thinks Christianity is immoral. And you have to understand that Rosaria at this time, she's a very moral atheist. Okay, so what I mean by that is she's very, she and her partner are very involved in charities in causes, in human rights, and her partner was big into rescuing golden retrievers, and they were activists for the disabled, and they helped people in need. So she's a very moral person, really looking down her nose at those Christians. And she says that she had started working on a book project, a research, because as a professor, that's is publisher perish, right? She's tenured, so she's probably not going to perish, but she needs to publish. So she's coming out with a book, and it's a book exposing right-wing Christianity. And that's her research project she's working on at this time. 
And so she writes this piece criticizing the promise keepers, and she gets flooded with responses. And she has two piles, fan mail, some people that are like, you, you give it to those Christians, girl, you do it. You know, and that's in one pile on her desk. And hate mail. You are the most wicked spawn of Satan we've ever heard of, right? And so she's got, she's, she's, she's dividing up all these, these letters. And she gets one letter and, she, and she, she doesn't know which pile to put it in. It's from a pastor, a guy named Ken Smith. He writes her a letter. And it wasn't nasty, but it wasn't fan mail. And he asked her questions that she had no answer for. And at the end of it, he wrote down his number and said, I want you to give me a call and I want to talk. Let's talk through these issues. And so when she read the letter, it just kind of destabilized her a bit. And then she said, uh, and she put it in the recycling because she wouldn't throw it away. That would be immoral. So she put it in recycling. <laughs> and it really messed with her. It, it just something about that, it just, she couldn't. She couldn't let it rest. So that night, she fished it out of the recycling, and she, she, she doesn't know what to do with it, but she believes in a clean desk, okay? So she's trying to sort things out. She doesn't want this loose thread hanging around, right? And so she, she, she's thinking about it, and she's talking to a friend of hers, an anthropologist professor, and the anthropologist professor says to her, you're looking at this all wrong, Rosaria. You know what? You're looking at this as... As some, somebody, you need to look at this as an opportunity. You're writing this book, right? This research project on the religious right. You're, you're going to show how ridiculous Christianity is. Okay, this is, this is an unpaid research assistant. This, this pastor here, this is an insider. You could have conversations with him and find out, you could get quotes. You could get an inside perspective on this whole world that you're writing about. Use him. So she says, huh. Good idea. And she gives him a call, and they talk on the phone. They have a great conversation. And he says to her, honestly, Rosaria, this, is, this kind of conversation is much better over dinner. Would you please come over to my house? I have a fireplace. Uh, I don't think it was a fireplace because it was uh, like the middle of the summer, and it was a hot day. But, you know, it's the sort of thing that you would sit next to a fireplace and have a chat about, not over the phone. And so he invited her over, and she reluctantly agreed. She pulled up in her pickup truck at the, uh, at the, the time, in her, in her own words, a butch haircut, uh, with two bumper stickers on the, on the pickup truck. One of them said, pro-choice, and the other said, gay pride. And she walked up to the door, and it's a hot summer day, and she believes that, I, I don't even know, she believes air conditioning is immoral also because it, it's bad for the environment and it wastes money and electricity. And so and, and it just so turns out that this particular man, Ken and his wife, Floy, F-L-O-Y, um, they're, they're an older couple, but they, they also don't use air conditioning. So she comes in and it's hot and she's happy. She's like, oh, wow, these people, you know, they're with it morally, you know. And uh, they prepared for her a vegetarian meal because she believed that eating meat was immoral. And so she comes in, and they have this vegetarian meal, and they sit down together. And this is what, this is what she says happened. Ken and Floyd did something at the meal that has a long Christian history, but has been functionally lost in too many Christian homes. 
Ken and Floy invited the stranger in. Not to escape. I mean, think about this. Is Rosaria Champagne Butterfield the kind of person you want at your dinner table? A rabid, anti-Christian, feminist, lesbian on a campaign against stupid? Is that the kind of person you want to have dinner with? No. Because she's just going to argue with you the whole time, right? And yet, this guy and his wife, and they're in their 70s at this time. He's pastoring a church, a small Presbyterian church in Syracuse. He's not, he's got no agenda. He just, he read what she wrote, lashing the uh, promise keepers, and he just felt like he should say something as a Christian. And so she showed up. And uh, they invited the stranger in not to scapegoat me, but to listen and to learn and to dialogue. Ken and Floyd have a vulnerable and transparent faith. We didn't debate worldview. We talked about our personal truth and about what made us tick. Ken and Floyd didn't identify with me. <laughs> they listened to me and identified with Christ. They were willing to walk the long journey to me in Christian compassion. During our meal, they did not share the gospel with me. After our meal, they did not invite me to church. But they did pray. It's not in the quote here. But they did pray for the food. And she says that when they prayed for the food, uh, Ken was so um, honest in his prayer. You know, he said he asked God for forgiveness for the times when he's failed in his own personal walk with God. And in addition to thanking God for the food and blessing it and that sort of thing. Uh, so it's not like they were atheists during the dinner. You know, they, they did represent. Uh, but they didn't, they didn't try to convert her right on the spot. That's what she's saying here. After our meal, they did not invite me to church. Because of these glaring omissions to the Christian script, as I had come to know it, when the evening ended and Pastor Ken said he wanted to stay in touch, I knew that it was truly safe to accept his open hand. So they start having a friendship. Now, she would not have come to church anyhow. She doesn't believe in it. You could invite her to church, but like, I mean, and, and look, this is her experience you have to use wisdom in whatever situation you're in. If you're with somebody that's ready to go, they're, they're hungry for the gospel, don't hold it back. You know, give it to them. But she is so far over here that it's just like, la, 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 la. I mean, if, if he did the gospel, it would not sink in at all. He just needed to love her. He needed to be authentically Christian, but he needed to love her. And then when the time was right, invite, he, he eventually invited her to come to church. He shared the gospel with her. How he shared the gospel with her, this is so slick. He says to her, this is like after a year or some months later, he says to her, you know, I know you're an English lit professor, and, you know, the Bible is one of the greatest works of literature of all time, especially in the English language. I mean, the Bible is just magnificent, don't you think? And she had been reading the Bible as part of this research, and she can't argue his point. She, and, she, and he says to her, do you think it would be okay if I gave a lecture in your class? <laughs> She's carefully stewarding these students towards a very particular worldview about everything. And she's not going to let this guy in the classroom and talk about how the Bible's so great. And she says, ah, you know, I, I, don't, know, I don't think I'd be comfortable with that. He says, well, how about this? Let me give you the lecture. I've given this lecture many times. Let me give it to you. I'll just come over sometime. I'll give you the lecture. And then you judge for yourself what you think about it. This way it's safe. 
That is slick, huh? I mean, that's like the wisdom of God working in this thing. So she has him over, and she sits there. And now, because of how everything's agreed to ahead of time, she's not allowed to interrupt all his points. Because it's a lecture. That's, it's not a conversation. It's a lecture. Right? So he starts going, and she's, she's just like biting her tongue, and she's sitting on her hands, and she wants to, but what about? And he's like, well, just let me finish. And he goes on for what she says seems way too long. Of course, they already had a friendship by now. You know, they've, they've, she's had him over to dinner. He's had her over to dinner. She's uh, really connected with his wife, Floyd. They, they're into making bread, probably like Sarah made bread, Abraham's wife, Sarah. Um, and uh, so, and, and he gets through, through the whole lecture, and he says, so what do you think? And, she's, and, and they have some conversation. And it's basically he gives her the whole gospel message in this lecture. And uh, she's, she's, she's working a lot. She's working 75 hours a week. Um, she, and, and she has everything. Between her and her partner, they own two houses, one in the university area and one out in the country. She's heavily involved in these, these good acts and, and these sorts of things, and she's satisfied with her life. She does not feel like there's something wrong with her. She's a moral activist, right? And yet, because of this research project, she starts reading that Bible obsessively, scrupulously, as a researcher would. Four times a year, she reads through the Bible. Boom, 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 boom. And she's reading for distance. She's not stopping at a verse and praying. She's just trying to get the, the big picture. She doesn't know anything about it. And uh, the Bible, it just, it starts messing with her. She goes all the way from Genesis to Revelation, and she asks questions of this pastor friend of hers now, and he explains things as they come up. And, and she's, tr she's, really, she's really trying to criticize the Bible. That's her whole point. And Christianity, but the Bible is criticizing her. It's, it's revealing to her her own insides, right? She gets to Romans 1 where it talks about how God could be seen clearly in creation and how uh, within ourselves there is this desire for God. And it talks about homosexuality there too in Romans chapter 1. And it, and it was really messing with her. And she tells a story about how she, uh, she used to, she's, she's a very hospitable person herself. So she used to have these dinners once a week, pasta and wine dinners, uh, where she invites in the uh, LGBT friends and they come over. And she has this one transgendered friend, uh, a woman, but a trans woman is a larger woman with large hands and an Adam's apple. And uh, he, she puts his, her hand on uh, Rosaria in the kitchen and says, Rosaria, I'm really concerned about you. You're changing. And she says, well, I have, a, I have a confession. I've been reading the Bible. And her friend says to her, that's deep. And Rosaria says, if the Bible's right, we're wrong. And her, this is crazy. Her friend says to her, we are wrong. I know we're wrong. I used to be a Presbyterian minister. In fact, I have a whole library of theology books. And she gave Rosaria all her theology books. She opens up a 500-year-old book called Calvin's Institutes and starts reading through it. You know, like deep, uh, serious theology books. 
Um, and she eventually agrees to go to church. But she's not going to just go to church. She's going she's gonna to check it out first. So she parks the pickup truck at the parking lot next door to the church. <laughs> right? At the time when church happens. So she's going to park over there. And she just watches them come in. She's like, wow, I didn't even realize Syracuse had so many families and children. Where are all these children coming from? How, how much is everybody reproducing around here? She's floored by how many children were going to church. And, uh, you know, she just kind of, she called herself a church stalker. And she would just stalk, she didn't go in, she just stalked it out and then drove away. And eventually she worked up the courage. And she and this trans friend of hers, um, she calls it in her book. She calls her Jay, but it's not the real name, anyhow. And and uh, she's and and they come and they and they, and look. This church had been praying for her, for Rosaria, because the pastor said, "Look, I have this woman that I'm working with, and you know, I just want you guys to pray with me for her." So the, the church had been on their knees praying for her, and and uh, so when she shows up with the guy dressed like a girl in the back with the deep bass voice. She, she says that this, uh, this, uh, this, this woman had the, the best bass voice in the whole church. Uh, you know what the people in the church did? They loved them. They showed hospitality. They didn't say, get out of here. I, I, we don't want your kind. They said, come on in. Hear the message. Sing the songs. Pray with us. You know? And over time, Rosaria, reading the Bible, doing the church, total turnaround complete and total transformation on the inside. God changed her. You won't even believe where she is and what she's doing today. Over, it was a course of two years, all right? And this, this happened way back in 1999, all right? So it's not like I'm telling you something that just happened and maybe she'll flip back the other way next month, okay? This is someone that's been living this lifestyle for, um, you know, 16, 15, 16 years. She eventually became a Christian. And not just like one of these wimpy, mushy Christians, a Bible-believing Christian. The kind that says, if Jesus says it, I'll do it. You know what I mean? One of those kind. And uh, kind I want to be. The kind that we want to be here, right? And uh, she says that she became a Bible-believing Christian. She repented. She had to kick the girl out of her house that was living with her. And um, over time, she met a man, a pastor. A different pastor. And she married him. She married him. She ended up getting married to a pastor. She uh, had a couple of kids. She moved to North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina, and she now is a full-time homeschooler and pastor's wife. So here's the question I ask you. How do you get from there to here? How do you get from there to here? And, and in her own words, she has her own book. You can buy it on Amazon, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Um, and uh, she just came out with the second book. How do, how do you get from there to here? Well, according to her, in her own words, it's hospitality. A guy was willing to show somebody that he knew they disagreed with, an unbeliever, Christian love in, 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 the, in the context of the home. And that was a starting point for this incredible transformation. She's, she's all over YouTube. Look her up. She'll tell you, she tells her story, and, and, she's, and, and there's a lot of people that are angry at her in, in the gay community because she, you're not supposed to switch, <laughs> right? And she switched. 
You know, but there, there it is. That's an example. So here's, for, for, for you today, here's the hospitality challenge. Are you ready? It's totally, up to, it's totally optional, should you choose to accept it. The hospitality challenge is this week, I want you to invite someone over who is not a Christ follower. They don't have to come over this week. Maybe they're busy. Maybe they can't come over for a month. That's fine. I'm just, and maybe they'll say no. That's fine, too. That's not, I'm not stressed about that. The challenge is this. Will you, this week, invite over someone who's not a Christ follower? That's the challenge, should you choose to accept it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace. It's enough for us to see your love and to experience your forgiveness. We pray that you... Help us to be hospitable. Help us to live up to the words of your Son that we would invite in those in need. That we would be the kind of people that love in a costly manner. I pray that you would help us to reach out to to the unbeliever, to the person who's different than us, and to those who are similar, that we would be people who demonstrate this hospitality, which is a legacy that you have had on your people from the days of Abraham all the way up until this day here. I ask for your help in doing that today and ask you to bless us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you enjoyed what you heard here, why not give Restitutio a five-star rating in iTunes or Stitcher? Doing so will help others find this podcast and inspire them to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for listening and check us out online at restitutio.org where you can find an archive of all the podcasts as well as a bunch of articles and links to other resources. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.